This is a Broad Pods production. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and my co-host today is the very glamorous Kerry Stanley. Oh my God, lady. (laughs) Good morning, Jo. And hello, everyone. (laughs) You are a sight for sore eyes. You look glorious today. Thank you. Well, look, I'm very fortunate that I can colour my own hair. Hair mm. cutting, not so much. So I think by the end of lockdown, I might have a bob. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's all right. Thank you for those lovely compliments. Any excuse to pop a lippy on? Let's oh. be honest. Like, it's we're mask wearing all the time and that's okay. We have to do it. But uh, not when you put lipstick on, it ends up all over the face. So, no, thank you. Yeah, Thanks no, for yeah. having me today. Oh, yeah, it's, it's gorgeous Favorite day of the week you. when it's broad radio. I know. It's so gorgeous <laughs> to see you again, Kez. And... Um, Look, we are in lockdown. There's lots of sort of uh, bleak news in and around the world at the moment. So I'm deeming today's show being brought to us by the letters A, B, B, A, mm. as in Abba's back, baby. <laughs> Abba's back. And in this household, um, my partner, Lexi, is the biggest fan. Like I would have to say, she might, might be close to a super fan with regards to the knowledge um, of Abba. Um, so much so that when we were meant to go overseas 20, yeah, last year, um, we were going to go through Switzerland and for the hometown of where Frida lived just so she could stalk her. Good <laughs> thing that didn't happen because apparently she wasn't there. They were filming oh. uh, all the day for the concert. So I think that, that worked out well. But, yes, we're uh, very happy in this household, so much so. We have preempted and bought tickets to the London concert. Wow. Okay. Well, we need to deep dive into this. We're going <laughs> yes. to be doing that a little later on. Also on the show today, the amazing Julia Zamiro, multi-talented singer, actor. She's 
she's got some ABBA stories as well. She'll be joining us later on in the show. We have the author of a beautiful book called The Dictionary of Lost Words. Pip Williams is joining us. A little bit of a book club kind of vibe there. And first up also, we're going to be joined by Australia's first para cheerleader. She's also a vlogger and she's an absolute superstar. I love this young woman. Emily Kutrocki is going to be joining us. Um, If you are wanting to catch up on any of the previous episodes, you can always do that with our podcast broad radio on the go wherever you get your podcasts and we do love it also when you connect with us via our more to say poll it's just one question and it's very simple and you go in the running for winning a handy little prize and this week in one of my greatest efforts of self-promotion you can win yourself (laughs) all five of my books <laughs> their kids books uh play they're the play like a girl series and they're about an under 11 girls footy team called the flyers and i just love those books so uh therefore awesome. a, a 10 year old reader in your life yeah why not Great i've price. got a sh- i've got a shitload of them <laughs> so, <laughs> i may as well be generous with that i say so abba is yes. they've released two new songs right and they've got an album coming and I think anybody of our generation cares, has memories of yes. ABBA, okay? Yes, 100%. I have a confession. I'm not a huge fan. Does that make me a betrayal of my generation? <laughs> no, but I'm surprised. I'm, uh, look, each to their own, Joe. no judgment. We, we, can't, we, live, we want to be in a world of no judgment, therefore I cannot judge that you are not into ABBA. That's okay. Not sure why. Well, why? let me explain. I mean, we're obviously, like every child of the late 70s, I had ABBA arrival and we would play it mm. on high. It's all we had, literally, yeah. in our yeah. record collection from the age of maybe 7 to 10 for me. So yeah. I, it was a big part of my childhood. But I think I'm a bit scarred by the fact that my older sister and I, she would get to play Anna, I had to play Frida, and generally, though, I only got to sing the backup lyrics. <laughs> my, my older sister wouldn't let me sing any of the actual lyrics. So I was sort of on the side going, take a chance, take a chance, take a take a chance, chance, take a chance, take a chance, take a chance, take a chance. Oh, no. And that was about it. So I don't know. But also, well, look, you know, it's I, I, I don't go to the dance floor when Dancing Queen is it's not my thing. Okay. All right. Mm. Not drunk at a wedding anytime? No? Okay, mm, that's all right. No. What's you, know what, what, what do you love about ABBA? Yeah. I was just going to say, Joe, um, this could be your time for redemption, you know. You don't have to be in the shadows of your sister anymore <laughs> with the new release of these new songs. Look at them. That's them pr- filming for their virtual concert, which will be incredible, which we have bought tickets for August next year in London hoping we can go. Um, we're being um, ambitious. That's all right. Um, what do I love about them? Uh, I don't know. It's just it's just catching it. And, again, it's nostalgic for me. And their new music is nostalgic. They didn't change the formula for how they work. Mm-hmm. I love that about about them. Um, and, of course, it's just uh, it's, you know, keeping in with our generation and bringing in some new followers, some awesome remixes already of mm-hmm. those two new songs that have been released and uh my favorite kind of favorite ones i think was when i kissed the teacher mm. like that to me was like Ooh, was a little bit naughty <laughs> when i was listening to that when i was seven i think 
um, does your mother know? Again, a little bit like, yeah. oh, yeah, does your mother know? I'm like, oh, okay, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and on it, so not the kind of classic ones, like you said, Dancing Queens or Mamma Mia or Waterloo, which are all fun, but I like kind of some of those older ones. Yeah. Mixed in there. Anyway, yeah, it'll be fun. Already we have Katrina on Facebook telling us, I cannot tell you how much joy there was hearing those two women's voices again, which I will agree. I like the new songs and yes, hearing those two iconic voices that are so beautifully matched. And Mm. they were such a big part of, for us as children, looking up to these women, massive, beautiful memories in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. It's time to take that mic back and take that lead singing. All right, all right, all right, all right. I will, I will. Now that you mentioned those songs, I will say I am recalling, you know, I did love a bit of Does Your Mama Know That You're Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, Does yeah. your mother know that you're yeah. out? Um, all right. <laughs> well, we're going to be speaking about this with Julia Zamiro later on too because she's met. She's met oh, Rita. Jealous. So jealous. Oh, Hey, um, it's a very exciting week for us because it is Women's Health Week and it's presented by Jean Hales for Women's Health who, if you don't know them, they're an extraordinary organisation, not-for-profit national organisation that are all about promoting women's health at every stage of their life. And we're really excited because we're partnering with Jean Hales for Women's Health and bringing you a pop-up show every day at one o'clock live. Today, we are talking tricky periods and we've got Isabel Marshall, Young Australian of the Year, and, of course, she's the founder of Taboo Period Products. And we have a wonderful gynaecologist, Dr Elizabeth Farrell, joining us as well, asking all, answering, sorry, all the questions that you might have around periods or any other kind of gyno issues. So that's going to be a great conversation. Tomorrow, Kerry, you're joining me at 1 o'clock live to talk yes. about sex at any age. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's That's talk about right, babe. and all that. Yeah, so we've got a vast array of subjects we're going to talk about with that. It's not just sex, mm. of course, but sexuality, all age. We have lots of questions. Of course, if you have your questions, darling viewers and listeners, feel free to throw them our way. Yes, yeah, it's a time to chat. Yeah. Yes. I should be though on Friday because it's talking about sleep. And since yes. I normally work on news breakfast, which I get up at three in the morning for work. Um that's, that's kind of my subject. <laughs> yeah, sleep is a really big one. So that I'll be is, tuning that in for Friday's, that. Friday's conversation. Mm. So because uh, we are working with Jean House for Women's Health this week and we're super pleased to be doing so, we're also pleased right now to welcome Ambassador for Jean Hales. She <clears> is <throat> Australia's first para cheerleader. She's a vlogger. I want you to check out her YouTube. It's at M Quatrocki and I'm just obsessed with this young woman. She's Amazing. Good morning, Emily Kutrocki. Hello. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Uh, em, I have been uh, really glued to your YouTube station at M Kutrocki because I feel like I kind of know you, right? I know that you are you make a really mean cocktail. Um, I know that you have a cat called Rambo. You've also introduced your viewers to what life's like living with a disability and you're so honest about, you know, living with a spinal cord injury and even took us right back to that very first moment when you were in hospital after you had had a car accident and you had experienced this injury. I just am so amazed at your honesty. What, what led you to share so much of yourself in this way? Well, I've always had a passion or 
Uh, I started filmmaking. Filmmaking is a big passion of mine. But I used to always prefer being behind the camera. But when I was in hospital, my family kept filming me and I'd tell them, stop, stop filming me. And they're like, no, you're going to make it into a documentary one day. I was like, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going to be in front of the camera. And then it turns out a few months after I left hospital, they were right and I made a short documentary which showed my injury and my hospital experience and everything. And um, which got into some film, film festivals and hearing people's reactions to it, like people laughing in the audience and stuff, brought so made me feel amazing and made me realise I could make such an impact with videos. So I want to use my videos to help change perspectives of disabilities and then also help other people with spinal cord injuries and yeah. And that's that's so fabulous and wonderful that you're doing that. I'm just going to take a little... Um, Time, step back in time, like, let's talk cheerleading. Now, when, when Joe said to me we were having a chat with you today and said that you're a para cheerleader and was cheerleading before that, I love cheerleading. And um, <laughs> I know, oh, I think it was probably maybe eight or nine years ago when my daughter, when she was 14, she, um, she joined cheerleading. She did it for a year. And I was a cheer mom for that time <laughs> and I was super happy. <laughs> what I loved about it was that it was the culture within especially within that club but also with intra-clubs too that had a really great policy and clearly that positivity is with you that's why you know you're a cheerleader uh it's more to than doing rah-rah as we know it's an amazing competitive sport and and now you want to take that into the future by by forming your own para uh cheerleading team how's that going um well there's covid's kind of stopped that because um uh when I was in Melbourne in interim accommodation, so I was able to go cheerleading. But I just returned home to regional Victoria, so um, haven't been able to go back to Melbourne for cheerleading. So there's a bit of a hold on that. But when things start to get better, hopefully I'll be able to go back to cheerleading and getting a team together and everything. Um, how's the response been within your team, though? Like, it's such a glorious thing to see these photos and the working together as a team must be super fun. Yeah, the club Southern Cross Cheer, they have helped me so much. They, uh, I remember being in hospital and because para cheer wasn't really a thing um, and me messaging the um, head coach and, like, asking, oh, is it possible you could help me with cheerleading? And then he was like, yeah, he was so supportive and helped me to do it and helped me get back to the thing I love. That's amazing. Of course, COVID's put a stop to so many things. Um, but as you said, look, we will open up and we'll get there again. Is there a bit of response uh, internationally you want to bring up, you know, like a world team together? That would be the first in its world. I mean, you are really leading the charge here, Em. Oh, there is other para-cheer teams in the world. Um so uh, when I was in hospital, I thought I couldn't do cheerleading. But then I saw a para cheerleader, a cheerleader in a wheelchair, and I was like competing at the big world's competition. And I saw it and I'm like, oh, I, I can do cheerleading. So, and I've, um, that, and since then I've talked to him and stuff like that. And he's, yeah, he's helping me like learn about it and stuff yeah that's amazing 
Em, your friends feature a lot on your uh, YouTube channel with your vlogging and uh, one of the things I see that you do is that you actually celebrate the anniversary of your accident each year. You celebrate it, which I find a really interesting flip of what perhaps people might imagine you do as you approach such a traumatic incident. Why do you celebrate such a thing? Well, the way I look at it is that I survived to live another day. <laughs> I was co very close to dying, but luckily I survived. And around that time, I can, you can get sad because that, that, time, that day my life completely changed. And if I focused on all the sad things and stuff, I would end up probably depressed and not happy with my life. So I like to and it gets hard around that month of the year. So I like to fill it up with things that make me feel grateful and positive to be alive and ha spending time with my drinks with my friends. I feel grateful when I'm doing that. So <laughs> that's why I like to do it. <laughs> what what an you know incredible space to, to put yourself into. Now, you're an ambassador for the Gene Howells um, for Women's Health. How did that come about? Uh, well, that came about because um, I made a video because there was a lunch that we, I used to go the next step and they did a lunch with Jean Hales and I did a video on it for my YouTube channel and then they saw it and then they asked me if I'd like to be an ambassador. <laughs> yeah. And so what? What would you like us to know about people who are living with spinal cord injury? Like your, your YouTube channel is so educational um, and I would love for everybody to kind of get the insight that you share on that channel. What would you like us all to know? I would like you, everyone to know that um, everyone with a spinal cord injury is different and they, um, it's just a part of who they are. It's not everything who they are. And they, everyone has different career paths. Everyone has different hobbies. Everyone has different injuries. And just to never assume, never make stereotypes or assumptions about that person. Understand, it's a different person with who's just a different person. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, oh, it, it certainly does. So, and what's what's next for you on the filmmaking scene? Are you plotting along something? Wonderful. Next, what's happening there? Um, a couple of things. At the moment, I'm um, trying to make um, like a, a documentary on my recovery and rehab that's just at home. And then I'm also trying to apply, apply for my master's in film. So I applied in 2019, but I got to the interview stage, but I didn't get in. But I'm trying again to apply and hopefully, fingers crossed, I get in this time. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't realise wow. it was so hard to get into a Masters in Film. That's Yeah, well, it's at Melbourne Uni and they yeah. only accept 20 students, so oh, it's pretty crikey. tough. That is pretty oh, tough. No, well, we, we no do pressure. Have, <laughs> we do wish you well there. And finally, I need to know, because we are in lockdown and these sorts of things feature in our house, um, what's your favourite cocktail? Um, I do like every, anything with vodka in it, but <laughs> I also love frozen daiquiris on a hot summer's day. So 
when it's we're going into hotter weather so I'll, I'll have a frozen daiquiri yeah lovely I, i've got to say i found very your nice. videos very instructional as far as how to make certain you've got like a three two or three different uh videos there where you give us like step-by-step instructions on how to make some beautiful cocktails so and whilst learning some important things i love it thanks so much em it's been lovely to chat with you today thank you for having me Well, you can file our next guest under women I wish I was best friends with because she's an absolute (laughs) superstar. She's an actor, presenter, singer, um, activist, all-round superstar. There she is, Julia Zamiro. Hi there. Trying to find the place in the screen. Oh, look, can I just say (laughs) thank you, Joe and Kerry, for giving me a reason to get up this morning and put on, you know, clothes. I'm so delighted to be here. Well, you're in, New South you? <laughs> you're in New South Wales, right? And you're a part of the creative yeah. industries. So does that mean that you have basically come to a standstill as far as all your work is concerned? Joe, jo, let me just say this to you. Mm. There is a thousand-piece puzzle there <laughs> of, of the bridge that links Denmark and Sweden that I'm struggling with, but, can, but pers- I'm persisting and learning patience because there's literally jack nothing to do. No, look, obviously, obviously, I'm not someone who'll sit down and do nothing. I've, you know, I've got a few little things I'm doing, but they're all for free, and that is fine. I've always done stuff for free. That's not the issue. I just really, I want to be positive, but I just don't see how we're going to have theatres full of people until next year and let's say even with my show home delivery if we do that again you know that means going into schools it means traveling around the country it means going to people's homes you know the it's it's just a whole other layer of production that just takes so much time and 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 the ease of what i do is to be able to be close to people and hug them and Mm. kind of be personable so yeah Mm. it just affords us all a lot of thinking time Mm. isn't it amazing though julie like we just took all of that for granted everything like everything you just said like how we interact with people there's those small little things of course not just theater but especially your show it so much rides on that as does a lot of productions as well and you just go oh you just can't do it like that not for now or how does that how's our landscape changing and how how much is that for good you know when people liken it to some people have likened COVID to you know a war and I wouldn't I don't know about that um, but certainly and certainly you know I think sometimes they talk about World War Two because that might be something that we still well they make movies about it and it's in people's minds but even when you talk about let's say you know in France or in England during that time you could still touch people you could still go to a bar and watch someone play music you could still dance you could still let's face it, have sex and hang out and be with people and make out and feel that you were still close to people and that was sort of a lifeline of going, well, we still have each other. But when mm-hmm. we're separated like this and, and, the, and the thing that's separating us is literally something you could catch and get infected, oh, I think um, that is really, that is a very significant, profound thing and I, there'll be books written about it and there'll be papers written about it and it will be really interesting to see how, how people went through it and what the fallout is. Do you ever have 
reflective moments and I can hear a bird in the background so I feel like you're on Beautiful. a sort of you're on a sort of a property mm. where there's places for I'm on Gundungara country it's just a backyard but geez there's a lot of birds thank god sounds, oh it sounds beautiful but do you ever have reflective moments where you think you imagine the world 10 years from now and what actually it will look like what will we learn from this how will we have changed and how how will we be living do you ever do that <laughs> I, I i sort of think about that non-stop yeah um because i i and i don't just mean for performing i genuinely don't and i don't just mean for my uh, locality or my city or my state i think of everyone doesn't everyone like mm. aren't we all sort of worried about how other countries are doing and aren't we literally going to all be in this one together and i think about uh, I really do think about the young people because, you know, honestly, I could never travel anywhere again tomorrow and stay here and have so many memories to reflect on. Those memories that keep you warm by the fire, maybe not at 54, was hoping that might be at 82 years of age. <laughs> but, you know, I genuinely feel like I'm in some weird retirement now. But I think of my stepson, who are, sons who are 19 and 20. I think of my nieces and nephew who are all under 10. And I think... If you don't have the opportunities to finish your degree on campus, meet new people, have that experience, do different things, go overseas, what memories are they going to be making? And um, if it comes to a point where they say only, you know, this many people can travel overseas from Australia, I'll happily put my hand down and say let someone else go because uh, it's, it just feels so compromised. And look, I'm very excited about the next election and uh, mm. and working towards finding some new voices who are that genuinely care about people. I think surely part of what you you've just got to like people to to rule people, for want of a better word. <laughs> yeah. So Julie, tell us a little bit more about uh, this kind of new vocation of yours, which is heading into the oh, I guess a political arena. A, more active. Tell me, tell us all. Tell us yeah. what's going on. Look, I guess, I guess, um, because we're all trapped at home, and uh, whether we like it or not, online is a sort of a window to the world and to what's happening out there. And because all my work has been cancelled, I sort of feel I. I, I can't uh, I can't embarrass or affect anyone in my work really because I feel a bit free to talk I suppose and then I just think well even if I was filming I know that I film with really good people who agree with what I'm doing and I'm not doing anything that crazy but basically we are all citizens we all have something to say we all have a voice and I don't know why so many Australians don't sort of make the link between what they do in their own lives and what happens in their own lives and that house on the hill in Canberra that makes decisions decisions for you. I think people really are still in denial about that. I mean, there was a, a thing on um, Have You Been Paying Attention They were show, or some show, they were showing um, Sam the weatherman who was doing a Zoom with 15 people all around the country and it was a quiz and one of the questions was, who is the treasurer of Australia? And no one knew. Now, I'm not saying you've got to read the paper every day, but if you don't, and his name has been in the paper, it's mm. been in the paper, listen to me like I'm up, you know, 100 years old. <laughs> it's been out there. There's a real disconnect of going, you are allowed to speak up, ask questions, talk about politics. It's not a dirty word. Don't use the term politics. Use how you live. 
And what I love about the voices of groups, and if you haven't heard of them, just have a little Google, voices of, and there are different electorates around Australia. I'm in Hume um, here. Um, they're looking for candidates that are actually from the community who are very good at what they do, who are willing to step up and possibly present themselves as independents um, against some people who are in power that have not done a good job, in fact, have done sometimes a corrupt job. And I think you're allowed to speak up about that. You're allowed to say, is there a choice? And yeah. I've enjoyed doing that. Well, I really love that you are because I guess you're maybe broadening people's perspective a little and suggesting to some, if you feel so inclined, to seek leaders or members of parliament outside of the main two that perhaps represent your community more. That's basically what you're saying, right? Yeah, and just to, you know, don't leave it till that minute when you're walking in. I mean, how many elections I feel I've been to where I'm in the line and I could hear people saying, who are you going to vote for? And that means to me that they haven't done much research, which is fine, but it's not fine because this is going to, these people, now, if you're absolutely sure of who you're going to vote for because you know what they stand for, well, fine. But when people are still figuring it out, what happens, I think, is that they get to the, to the, to the ballot box and just go, oh, look, the only name I really recognise here is who's in already, so I'll just tick that. And I guess what's exciting about the independence, and we've seen this before, certainly in the Gillard government with um, Rob Oakeshott and Tony Windsor, when you have some really interesting independents that hold the balance of power, and maybe it'll be close again between the two parties, who knows, but um, they'll just be there to say, we can vote with our conscience, we can hold you to account they do reading they actually do all the reading they get extra staff they look at it and they're not told what to say and I don't know I think there's COVID's bringing all this up you know all the layers of society are unpeeling we're seeing how things are made or not made and and certainly Annabelle Crabb's show misrepresented kind of nailed home again for me that that house is built for adversarial discussion not real discussion so yeah. Yeah. And, and we need seeing, little windows of hope. Well, but also that, uh, you know, today is the second day of the Women's Safety Summit and it was instigated in response to what has been a really bad year as far as what we're learning, our government and our Prime Minister particularly, their attitudes towards women, right? So this has mm. been a response to... At the same time, so the Prime Minister gives the keynote speech yesterday. He says we need to change behaviours and attitudes so that we stop violence before it starts in Australia, acknowledging that women feel like they're not, um, you know, that they're ignored and gender, gender inequality is really rife throughout all levels of society. He acknowledges that, but this is just after they voted against almost all of the respect at work changes. So... I feel like the independents are a really great way to start if you're wanting some response to, um, you know, actually listening to women in Australia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's extraordinary, isn't it? You know, you would think a keynote address. I see why he thinks he should do it, but it's just not right. I mean, it's completely tone deaf, and there are plenty. I mean, there are so many extraordinary women you could have got to talk uh, as a keynote uh, address, and you know. Like you said, only 49 of the 55 recommendations from Kate Jenkins' report, uh, 49 of the 55 were, re were, were rejected. I mean, 
49 of them. What's the point? Mm. So this summit, mm. it's the second day today. I watched uh, a lot of it yesterday. I just had it on as I was doing work around here. And they began the day with a panellist of, uh, a panel of Indigenous women, and which was absolutely correct to start there. Um, but at one point, Marsha Langton just says, you're still not listening. You are not listening to Indigenous women. You're not listening to us. Now, look, if we're not starting there, we can't go on. We can't even move forward. And um, then later on, David Kosh was on it. Now, I don't know. I don't see David Kosh as someone who has any place on a women's summit. He kept calling everybody ladies. What you know, was Koshy there? Just, I couldn't understand I, that. Like, oh, Koshy, he was part of a panel. Yeah, he was part of a panel and he was there in his capacity as, what is he, some manager of a football club or Oh, something? he's president of the Port Adelaide Football Club, yeah. Maybe it was to do with that. And I understand mm. that sometimes you need to have a male voice there. Sure, of course, or sport is important, but I tell you there's some amazing sportsmen and women out there who can speak to this in a much better way than that. So I don't know, maybe they're appealing to a certain market. I understand that too. But... Um, uh, look, uh, uh, this this isn't going to go anywhere. And the fact that, you know, Brittany Higgins was not invited, mm. Grace uh, Tame uh, did say on Twitter she was invited but turned it down. There they are. Rosie Batty was there. I mean, look at that picture. Mm. Oh, what a glorious I mean, that, picture. I mean, that picture just, it just brings me to tears because those women are only there because something hideous happened to them. Uh, what we're doing if if they hadn't had the background they had, but what they're choosing to do is stepping up and there is more courage and there is more integrity in those two women than anyone in that house. So I look at that picture and I think that if that's the future, that's what I'm going to feel hopeful about. I'll, I'll, let me be of help. Put your hand up and be of help um, and listen and read. We're mm. all we can't get out and do anything. I think yes. they love it. Well, already yeah. on Facebook I'm getting on YouTube as well. Julia has my vote. <laughs> You should yeah. do Julia. Julia's a PM. <laughs> but see, but see, the thing is, the thing is, you know, I'm really against someone who happens to be a performer and in the public eye and is an entertainer to be put forward for any position this important. Because I know what my strengths are. I know I'm a good MC. I know I can do interesting things. I can communicate with people. I would never put myself forward for a candidate candidacy or anything like that because that is a serious job and uh and there are some people in the entertainment industry who can do it and are absolutely engaged to do it you know james matheson wanted to run against tony abbott initially because he felt compelled to and that guy is smart baz dubois is running mm. for a seat in the senate because something in him is burning and he wants to get up and say something and he feels that there's corruption there so that's mm. my strength and I'm, I'm happy to come here and do this and hopefully when we get out there maybe do a, a town a live town hall event mm. with the candidates maybe well let's let's yeah. go to something lighter and uh kez we want to talk about abba don't we yes Look, yes yes <laughs> i just wanted to, can i just quickly say since I, um, about what you were just finishing up with julia said like i noticed my own narrative i've said most of my adult life i don't understand politics well, I can learn to, to do that, you know. So and we start exactly what you were saying, Julia, grassroots level, let's come in and educate ourselves because what's happening in the big house is not good enough. So I take that um, responsibility too to go, I need to, you know, educate myself. The end, ABBA. The word, okay. the word, the end, the word, the end. ABBA, ABBA. The end, ABBA. 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 No, Julia, um, my partner Lexi and I, we're very ambitious. We have bought tickets to the concert. 
Shut up. <laughs> we did. Okay, so um, no, no, knowing <laughs> that we could sell them if we can't get into the country, but we just thought, yeah. I'm so stupid. I went online and went, are oh, they actual tickets? But what for? Aren't we all going to watch it online? And then I realised, oh, there are some places where you can still go yeah. into a big room and watch people. Oh, my God. What's the date? What date are you going? Sorry. It is August the 4th. August the 4th. Because we've got tickets to Sister Act, mm. which we've had for two years which have been postponed postponed um so we thought well well let's just fingers crossed we can get there so we thought we'll just book it the day before you never know oh, well done. anyway look my first concert i ever went to which is a question we always ask at rock Quiz, was abba in sydney i went on the friday night when it didn't rain when frida didn't slip over it was magical even though we were quite far back <laughs> Fast forward years later, and I've always loved them, not in an ironic way. I do not love ABBA in an ironic way. I love them in a true way, in a real way. Um, They were like my aunts, I have to say, or my big sisters. I just always felt that they were like family or something. And my parents were great, but there was a bit of benign neglect, let's be honest. So I feel like those two women were always there. Anyway, fast forward to then get a Eurovision gig, do that gig for eight years, love it. And then one of the years we were there, the ABBA Museum had its official opening and I got to interview Bjorn and Benny and Frida and I wasn't there. And I have to say it was amazing. Oh, there she is. Oh, look at you. You're organised. You're so organised. Look at her. Oh, she was elegance personified and amazing. Mm. But when I listened to that new song, the two new songs, to hear... Voices I know so well, aged, beautiful, older, fragile in some places. I lost it. I cried like a baby and I realised I've not been listening to music much in lockdown. I haven't. I just And it just opened up a kind of chasm of emotion, maybe because I think it will make me sort of sad. Um, I just felt so moved by what they're giving us in this ridiculous time. I mean, talk about the timing. And just to hear those mature voices singing, woo, lost it. And don't they sound good, like so good. And I was saying to Joe earlier, they're still them. Like they haven't tried to be anything else. Why would they? And they're just true to them and it's just beautiful and super nostalgic and we're all here for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, let's be honest, Benny and Bjorn are the ones who just would never retire ever and would have toured for the rest of their lives. It's the women, particularly Anna, who sort of said, <laughs> I'm done, this isn't for yeah. me. And, you know, that happens a lot in bands, right? There's, there'll be a couple of members, we know this, we've read about it, who are like, you guys love this, I don't, I miss home, I can't do this all the time, I feel like I'm a, a cog in a wheel. But uh, to have somehow convinced them to do this, well, well done. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's the gift that we're gonna, that's going to keep on giving because it's just two songs now and then the album a little bit later on. And then are you at the concert, Kerry? I mean, you'll be doing a live cross with Joe, I should imagine. <laughs> yeah, we so. should, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it is such yeah. an amazing thing. That, what a thing to aim for. I love that you, you and Lex have done that, Kerry. What a great thing. Thank you. Yes. I, I, I do feel like, Julia, you have given us a little insight into your youth which is one of the things you do so well. Love this segue that I'm doing. One of the things you You're do so good. well 
in-home delivery, right? You give these little insights into the histories and the childhoods and the, the formative things that have made these incredible people. And geez, you've had some gorgeous people on. Look at there's Gibney and then there's Sam oh. Neal. Look at you having a cut with Sam Neal. Oh. Stop oh. any chance we could. <laughs> the amazing Miranda, Miranda Oh my God, God so many people. All right, so, but what I want to know is, where do you come from, Julia? If you were to interview yourself, like I just, I, every time I, I see you, I want to know where did you grow up? Who are the things and the people that actually, what made you decide to follow performance? Oh, accident. Um, I would say there is, there is a chance I might do my own home delivery uh, if the show ever ends. I mean, it's a possibility. I think I'll be quite uncomfortable doing it. But anyway, um, look, you know, my dad's French, my mum's Australian. They met on a boat. They came back here. I grew up in Bondi uh, above a restaurant. My dad uh, had the restaurant downstairs, ran it, did the cooking. And by chance around the corner, so we would go to that restaurant, but by chance around the corner up the street with the, was Bondi Public Wellington Street, a little primary school, and by chance within that school, that Aussie school, there was a little French school. Oh. So... Every day I walked to school from my house uh, in primary school and we did everything in French, everything, everything. It was like being at school in France. And there were a real mix of kids. There were diplomat kids there, but there were kids like me whose mum was a teacher, dad had a restaurant. You know, there was a real mix. And it was kids who were there for a year or two keeping up their education before they went back to France. A lot of us didn't go back. A lot of us stayed. Um, and by the end of sixth class, you know, I was well and truly bilingual and then thought, well, we're staying in Australia, you may as well switch to the Aussie system. And then went to Sydney Girls High School Selective, we'd probably visit there. I mean, that school was fine. But university is where I kind of woke up, Sydney Uni, doing lots of drama there. And then, of course, uh, we would all audition for the acting schools. So you auditioned for NIDA in New South Wales, VCA in Melbourne and got into VCA and to be able to get on a plane at 24 and go to Melbourne that I'd never been to before and uh, do three years of acting training there, that city totally has my heart. It's where I made so many discoveries, so many connections. I lived there for 10 years later. I got so, Rockwiz came out of that. Um, for me, Melbourne is... It's like the, my, I would say my spiritual home, certainly in Australia, no doubt. Mm, what a lovely heritage story. Oh, I love I'm just that. like, Kes. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome. I'll just say, I might say quickly, Joe, Julie, um, one of the first things I, I don't know how long ago um, that we saw this was at Chapel of Chapel in Melbourne. It was Spontaneous Broadway. <gasps> yeah. And Probably, you selected yeah. my suggestion. I was pretty oh, sure. Did I? I don't know how what long. Was how long do you remember what the title was? It was well, we've um, done. Mine was Nuns in Boarding School. That's it was something <laughs> that I can't remember. <laughs> and that's good. Um, look, yeah. we've done so many iterations of that show. I'm not sure. Um, I would say, oh, geez, it could have been 15 years ago. But we've done different yeah, versions of it along the way. Right. And basically what we do is, you know, it's an improv show where we uh, come on stage as kind of caricatures of the musical theatre world, which in itself is enjoyable to play. So the magnificent <laughs> Genevieve Morris plays Dame oh. Helen Highwater, 
kind of a Judy Dench character. She's got top status. And then Chad was this kind of gay choreographer played by Jeff Payne. <laughs> and Ross Daniels was the accountant of this small theatre company who sometimes got dragged on stage because we didn't have enough actors. And I was the young ingenue who had just graduated from Frappa in Western Australia. It's not the Western, because, you know, there's WAPA, which is yeah. the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. She went to the Fremantle Academy of Performing Arts, so Frappa. And, and then we would get the audience members to write titles of songs that didn't exist that could be in a musical. So, you know, one of my favourites was one called Pouting Over Putin. <laughs> and so you get this title and you don't tell them yet, but you build a story as so that that is the final gag. So you'll go, it's set in Russia and you'll give some story and you get the musician to start playing a little kind of vampy tune and then you reveal that the song is called Pouting Over Putin and you improvise a short version of that song. It really only it needs to be brilliant. 30 seconds to a minute. Yeah, it was oh, great. So and, good. And then we do these songs, yeah. <laughs> Thank oh. you. I miss it like it I miss it. It was terrific, yeah. <laughs> oh, Julia, oh, if only we could be back in theatres watching something so glorious as that. It will happen. It will happen. We'll get there um, I know. one day, I know. And uh, it's, I just, know. it's been a delight to have you on Broad Radio. Thank you so much for all that you do in the activism space. I know that yes. it does feel weird as an actor to kind of bring your voice to these things, but it's important. And I know that people really yeah. value it. And, and um, yeah, I'm grateful to you for that and uh, for all that you do. Watch Fisk, by the way. It's a great series on ABC iView. I just love it, Keith yes. Flanagan's series. It's so funny. And let me tell you, your hair, it's so impressive. I know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, of its own. Yeah. You'd, be, you'd be right into that, Kerry. You'd understand. Yes. Oh, yeah, there That's it is. Brilliant. Look at that. Amazing. Oh, um, we have a to go. Power quip right there. We're running super late. So we have to go. It was so gorgeous to see you. Bye bye. Take care all the way up there. We'll have you. more broad radio after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Broad Radio, talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2 a.m. existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more.
We are going to be joined by one of my favourite guests that we've had so far since we launched Broad Radio at the start of this year. But first, I wanted to just mention um, Kerry. It is World Suicide Prevention Day on Friday, which is a really super important day. Absolutely, yes. So um, there is lots of things online that you can get across. This subject matter is very uh, important to me. I lost my own daughter, Rani, to suicide three and a half years ago. So um, I just wanted to bring attention to an amazing support group called um, Support After Suicide. You can find them online, supportaftersuicide.org.au. Not only um, have they um, some great resources for support, as the name suggests, but also some strategies that uh, and, and um, lo- uh, I've lost my words. Anyhow, um, places where you can go to uh, virtually to get some help uh, mm. pre and afterwards, um, especially during this current time, the statistics aren't, they're, they're terrible um, mm. due to COVID and everything like that. They've partnered with Lifeline to do uh, quite a few virtual events so you can get across that as well. And um, I think it's really uh, essential. And one thing that um, I read fairly recently, you know, of course, we see lots of posts with people saying, you know, if you're feeling in any particular way, you know, reach out, reach out. Well, someone posted well how about people reach in and I mm. thought that was really poignant don't wait because people sometimes they're just not in that position to ask for help so just keep an eye on your your mates your friends your family keep just keep across it all um and uh, and then of course across this day which is on Friday so yeah thanks. absolutely um thanks so much Kerry for bringing that up it's super important that we mark that day and yes reach out to those in our circles and make sure that everyone's doing okay and also sort of having the conversation perhaps on their behalf because you're right when you're feeling so overwhelmed with that kind of heaviness and depression anxiety you're not always able to do it yourself so um yeah i really appreciate you bringing that up thank you thank you well look we're not oprah yet but we thought we might delve into the world a little bit of book club sort of vibe. And this is a book that I have been really enjoying. It's called A Dictionary of Lost Words. I would have brought my copy, but it's by my bed right now because <laughs> I haven't quite finished it. Um, it is by Pip Lincoln, uh, who joins us now. Hi there, Pip. It's Pip Hi there, Williams. Jo. I've written <laughs> Hello, Pip Lincoln in here. I was just thinking, oh, that's not your surname. Who's that? Ghost writer. She, no, I, as I was saying it, did you hear me go, Pip Lincoln? Because I'm like, that's not her <laughs> name. Her name is Pip Williams. <laughs> Hi, Pip. Lovely to have you on Broad Radio. I love your book. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. And it's really lovely to be here, Joe and Kerry. Lovely to see you both. So the, without spoiler alert, right, because I, I don't want no to give away what the, the book is, um, you know, the plot of the book. But essentially it's, a, it's, a, it's set during the time and the process of writing the Oxford English Dictionary. So already that made me go, oh, of course, someone wrote this at some point, way back when. And we meet yeah. Esme, who's this young girl whose father works in the team who's defining the words. And as Esme grows up, she's collecting the words that don't make it into the dictionary which are women's words, right? So this blew my mind as well because I'm like, oh, my gosh, of course, someone had to decide what words go in and what don't, and generally speaking, they were men. So you've done a huge amount of research to create mm. this book. What, how did, what did you learn as you – how much of it is factual? Well, basically, 
half of it is factual, really. What I've done is woven a fictional story of a girl called Esme through the real story of the development of the Oxford English Dictionary. And like you, I've had, you know, I've got a number of dictionaries on my bookshelves, which I've never questioned their authority. You know, you go to them to solve scrabble arguments. You go to them to get the definitive um, definition of a word. Uh, and I've never questioned that until I read this book, uh, which is The Surgeon of Crowthorn by Simon Winchester. It's a non-fiction book about um, a relationship between the editor of the Oxford English Dictionary, James Murray, and one of the volunteers who sent words in. Lovely book. But by the end of it, the thing I understood about the dictionary was that it was written by men, that, that the words themselves um, could only get into the Oxford English Dictionary if they had a textual history, so if they'd been written down, essentially. And I was left with this question about, well, if most of the books, and this was a Victorian-era uh, project, the dictionary, most of the books at that time had been written by men. And if they could only um, access words written by men to understand what a word meant, that meant words that were spoken by people who didn't write um, could be missing from the dictionary. And in particular, I was interested in women. Um, I was interested in the words that they might have used in the birthing room or the, the kitchens or uh, words that might have been used in coal mines or, in fact, the trenches uh, during World War One. These words were not necessarily ever written down. And so I have no doubt that there, there are many, many words that were lost um, that I certainly never found. But there were also a few words that I did find that ended up in my novel. It's, I, I, when I started reading this, I thought I had, I never, like you said, Pip, I'd never thought about this. And why wouldn't you? Like we just take so many yeah. things uh, as face value. So I was really fascinated by this. And the way you write through it, to me, it, it just felt quite, kind of like just had this lovely melodic rhythm to it. It's a, it's a beautiful read. And Thanks. I thought, well, how did you, what drove you to do this? Like, it's like I think it's just so fascinating. And um, so many words in there. And there's, some, there's one I know, Joe, that you said your aunt... <laughs> Well, I will say yes. You're bringing yes. women's words in, yes. and mm. you there is a section around the word "cunt," which is one of my favourite words. Let's say it out loud. Oh, we all, yes, all three of us have one. <laughs> I love that you cunt, say that. Cunt, cunt. I love cunt, it. Cunt, 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 cunt. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my aunt and my mum, who are both. English teachers, English lit teachers, they struggled with that particular section and the word cunt. Did you worry about what the reception might be? I didn't worry, uh, but I did anticipate that some people might, you know, might not enjoy reading that word, uh, might not enjoy Mabel's limerick uh, because that word comes up in the context of um, Esme who who grows up in the scriptorium, essentially. And, I mean, one of the things I wanted to do to explore uh, two questions, really, are, do words mean different things to men and women? And if they do, does it matter that the Oxford English Dictionary was defined, was essentially a male project? And so the way I explored that was to put a little girl in the scriptorium where all the words were being defined and 
and have her grow up in that place and um, see what happens to her as she's surrounded by these words. How does she affect the words and how do the words affect her? So that's essentially how the story then unfolds. Um, and as she gets older, she... Well, she, she starts collecting words when she's about four, a, a slip of paper, and, and the words were all written on slips of paper. Um, there'd be a word and a sentence showing how a word was used. Um, one of these slips of paper falls into her lap. She's under the sorting table where all the men are sorting the words, and no one claims it, and so she keeps it. And that's the first word that she um, collects, and that word is bondmaid. And this is a real word. It means slave girl. And it really did go missing from the Oxford English Dictionary. And it should have been in there. So it wasn't one that was excluded on purpose. It should have been there, but it wasn't. Um, and James Murray, the editor, assured everyone at the time it was the only word that had ever accidentally been lost. But they, they could never explain uh, why it was missing from the dictionary. And so that's where my story starts. Esme stole that word. <clears throat> Do you think As she grows, she collects others. And one of them is the word cunt, which she collects from a, an old prostitute in the covered market um, who, who tries to explain what it means with a limerick. Mm -hmm. So do you think that there are words still missing from the dictionary, which perhaps are women's words? I have no doubt that there are words that are lost to history, perhaps because they were never written down at the time. Um, the first dictionaries were being compiled. Just like um, there are many, many thousands, millions of words um, spoken by first peoples of this country and others that have been lost to history because they were never written down. Um, and, you know, colonisers, the first thing they steal is your land, the second thing they steal is your language um, and they steal it essentially by stopping you from speaking it, by not teaching it and so on. And at the moment there's a renaissance of, of learning Indigenous languages in, in Australia but many words have been lost and it's a reconstruction period really. Um, and so the, I think the same thing would have happened with women's words because women um, had no voice um, especially in England at this time, and my book explores this as well. Women didn't have the vote um, until in full until 1928. Some women got the vote in 1918, but at the time of my story they were fighting for the vote. So the suffrage movement was well and truly um, happening over there. And that movement happened at the same time as words were being collected for that first dictionary. Um, I think these days the Oxford English Dictionary is constantly updating. So it's now on its third edition. They're, they're sort of reviewing the history of words as well as adding new words. Um, literacy is much higher. There are many, many more forms of the written word. So if you think of Facebook and Twitter, um, those, those platforms are legitimate um, sort of legitimate um places to go to to find out the the meaning of words and so there are far more ways now for far more people to have their understanding of a word included in um, the Oxford English Dictionary. But what's critical is that we have diversity in the people that are making those decisions and, and not You're just, absolutely. yeah not not just women but obviously women of colour and Aboriginal women and women with disabilities and LGBTQI so that there's 
language represented across the board. You're absolutely right. And, you know, my book is about the Oxford English Dictionary. I have a, a copy here. You can see how old it is. This is just A and B. So wow. there were 12 volumes of this um, in the first edition, published in 1928, 20 volumes published in 1989, and they don't think they'll print the third edition because it will be so big because they never get rid of a word from the from the dictionary once it's in. <laughs> um, but you're absolutely right. You know, the people who were compiling this dictionary, um, you know, between 1858 and 1928 were all white educated men. Mm. Um, and so it's not just women's words and women's understandings of words that were left out. It was also working class men's. It was immigrants. It was people who spoke um, English around the colonised world, um, and they were many, uh, and the way they uh, interpreted and and morphed the English language, um, you know, to suit their cultures and the languages uh, that were um, their mother tongue. I mean, these, these words were often left out of that first dictionary. Mm. And I think today I, I heard Julia talking about um, coding. That's, that is a, a real issue today that a lot of the coders are of a particular demographic, the people developing um, digital language, uh, and it will have an effect on the way, on, on everything, on the mm. way we interact digitally and online. Um, it is being determined by a particular subset of people. Um, that does not represent all of us. Yeah, it's a massive concern. Women, get coding. We need you. We need you in the <laughs> AI world, absolutely. And now I understand, Pip, that you have, you, you've had a worldwide release. Congratulations. It's so awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's really awesome. I'm, I, I'm thrilled and, and sometimes a bit bemused and, um, you know, I can't believe it really because it's it's such a specific topic, the English language, and yet it's being translated into about 15 languages now so um, or, or about to be. And I'm very curious about how they uh, deal with the detail of, of some of the words that I include and whether those words have equivalents in, in yes. other languages. Cunt, I mean, for instance. That's right. How do you say cunt in, in oh, I'm sure I'm sure the Germans have a word for cunt. <laughs> <laughs> it, might be, yeah, it might have a, some origin story <laughs> in Germany, actually. But, um, I mean, one of the things about, just to go back to that, and I don't mean to sort of, you know, offend anyone, but one of the reasons, uh, there are a lot of words in this book that um, pertain, and I didn't do this on purpose, it was as the story unfolded, that do pertain to women's bodies. Um and one of the, I suppose one of the reasons I really wanted cunt in there was partly because it's one of the oldest words in the English language. It ticked every single criteria for inclusion, but was excluded because it was vulgar at the time they were collating the dictionary. So there are so many things wrong with that. First of all, it was a word that was around in the 13th century in England and has a textual history. It was a street sign. So it was the name of a, um, a lane in London called Grope Cunt Lane. And Grope Cunt Lane, as you can imagine, they used to name streets and lanes after the economic activity uh -huh. in the place. Grope uh -huh. Cunt Lane was a street of prostitution. And that's the first time that they, they think it was written down. 
But it was also written down in Chaucer's tales, Canterbury tales, and, and other literature of the time, and predominantly as a euphemism, not as an insult. And the, I suppose the issue I have with the way um, the word is used now, and the reason I say it as often as I can um, as a euphemism for my vagina, is because this this word, this euphemism for a woman's part of a woman's body gets thrown around as one of the most vile insults, usually for a man. And this is the thing I object to. I don't think I'd object to it quite so much if it was an insult that was thrown around usually for a woman, (laughs) but it's not. It's usually for a man. And, And I find this objectionable and I guess I want to reclaim it as a a woman's word, um, as as you know, as offensive as it still might be as a euphemism, I still want to claim it as mine. Ah, mm. oh, well, I celebrate that. What about you, Kez? Yeah, hundred percent. And Pip, I can actually see your beautiful book being not only translated, well, it's being translated to all the languages, but also being made uh, into a beautiful miniseries. Hundred oh, percent. Oh, I, this is I'd something deemed for the that. screen. Mm. Yeah, it yes, does span that, that quite, needs to um, it spans a lifetime, so it might be too big for a movie but perfect for a miniseries. Yes, I think I think Definitely. we should um, put that out there. <laughs> yeah. Let's just, yeah, yeah. Find, find a local all-women's production company. I think Rose, Rose Burns' production company in Sydney, that yes. sounds like it would be pretty good. <laughs> yes, I like the sound mm. of that. It, it, it really does lend itself to that and also, I mean, it really opens your eyes around that suffragist movement and what it was like, I mean, to think that people, women were fighting just to be able to have degrees, you know, to go to university and things that we take for granted now. So absolutely, I just, I love that perspective, but it also then makes me think about where we are now with our current movement for equality and how far we still have to go. And I, I kind of inspired me to go just, okay, we've got, just got to keep, keep fighting. I think um, one of the things uh, for me, historical fiction, um, and I don't know if this is, it is historical fiction, obviously, but really I didn't go to write an historical fiction. I went to write about the Oxford English Dictionary. And the reason it was interesting to me was because it was, the themes I was exploring were still current. It's all about representation of women and women's words um, and women's voice. And um, purely by accident really you know I I sort of I did write this during um the me too movement but I didn't it it doesn't really have a me too theme the theme it really taps into is that lack of voice that when we speak we're not heard when we speak um our words are diminished um the word suffragette you mentioned the suffragette movement that's an interesting word actually because it was coined by newspaper men shock jocks I suppose of their Mm -hmm. time in 1906 as a diminutive for the women who'd started to uh, become militant. So up until 1906, the women's various um, organisations were just all under the banner of suffragists. But when Emmeline Pankhurst's group, the WSPU, started smashing windows and graffitiing and, um, you know, creating letter bombs, et cetera, et cetera, Newspaper men coined the phrase suffragette to put them down, to essentially say they were little girls acting up. They weren't quite the real thing, just like a cigarette, a kitchenette, you know, all of these, all of these words. Um, the et on the end is a diminutive. 
And what um, Emmeline Pankhurst did with that word to turn it around very quickly to change its meaning is she appropriated it and called their journal the suffragette. And today we still use the word suffragette in a much more positive way. We tend to use it as an umbrella word, which is actually a little incorrect. Suffragist is still, you know, the the umbrella word really. Suffragettes are a particular group, but um, we all identify with it now in a very positive way or in a different way, not to the way that it was originally coined. And it's just an interesting, um, you know, words like humans have have a, a sort of story arc they respond mm. to the environment that they're in and they change. And that's what is wonderful about the Oxford English Dictionary, actually, because unlike other dictionaries, it gives you that history. It shows you how a word has changed over time. Um, and and that's why it's really important to record all the words, not just the ones that, um, you know, that are unoffensive to you. Yes. Uh, well, we are so late. From I mean, it doesn't really matter because it's our show. We can do whatever we want. But we have we have, we could talk to you forever, Pip Williams. It's been absolutely joyous to speak with you about your gorgeous book. I really, really love it. And I guess I, you know, it's just opened my eyes to how language has a gender attached to it and also a power and sort of to try and wrestle that back and go, no, let's have more of the women's words out there um, with our meaning attached to it. I just love it. Thank you. Yeah, thank thank you, you, Pip. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, thanks. Pip Williams, go and get her book. It's uh, a truly joyous read and something to do in lockdown. It's really saved me, actually. The Dictionary of Lost Words. It's absolutely beautiful. We have to wrap this up because we have a show at 1 o'clock today for Women's Health Week. We're going to be talking tricky periods. We have Young Australian of the Year, Isabel Marshall and gynaecologist Dr Elizabeth Farrell joining us. I'm being um, doing that show with the amazing Zoe Daniel as well. And tomorrow, Kerry, I'm going to see you at one o'clock for our live show. I will see you again then, Joe. Thank you for great conversations today, as always. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks, Kez. You take care. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.